Yes. So as you were talking about like how the experiences of the refugee communities might not be very different from that of minorities. But then then there would be certain differences, right? Because they don't have the legal documentation to or the what we call like the citizenship of India, the the legal way of selling telling like we belong to this land. So then like as you have closely worked with people on the ground, so what are the challenges that like you guys face in your attempt to help a refugee or asylum seeker settle? Like it like the issue of framework does have a like impact might impact you like at a larger extent but then what are the other thing issues that you face and how much of it might come from like society because people tend to have a xenophobia from for people like alien people aliens who they like think are aliens or detrimental to the society and how much of it comes from the bureaucracy also how do you suggest that we make this process of naturalization easier for refugees and asylum seekers, if we can? So I think what I think what I want to say about this is that, and I will clarify like the role that we play in terms of like providing access to certain services to asylum seekers and refugees. Um, but I think what came to me while you were asking me this question is that like what challenges do like you were asking me about the challenges that refugees and asylum seekers face when it comes to settling right so apart from like you know the groups that we spoke about which get assistance from the government of india and are legally recognized in, as refugees in india so like the tibetans and the sri lankans apart from these two groups Everybody else, almost everybody else, and I and I won't say 100%, but India mostly serves as a transit country for asylum seekers who currently reside in India. So for a lot of people, India is that country that you come to from where you can move on to other places where you might want to settle down, right? So the aspirations of a lot of refugees and asylum seekers is not to spend their entire life in India. Um, they want to like move to like, you know, countries in the Europe, they might want to move to Australia, they might want to move to the US for a variety of different reasons. So in terms of like helping them settle down, um, of course, and, uh, and this particular decision to whether they want to settle down in India or not is also dependent on the fact that there's no national asylum framework in which they are recognized as refugees by the government of India, right? Which means that they will never have access to like the kinds of documentation that you and I have, which will allow me to like walk into any place, go to any part of India, like, you know, do whatever I want, set up a business, like things like Aadhaar card or PAN card, like, you know, stuff like that. Um, so they will never have access to things like that. And that also plays a part in like, like, you know, in making sure that India always remains a transit country and not a country where people want to settle. But even in those, like, say, even in the 10 years or the 15 years where some people will like you know live in india or perhaps some people will go on to make india their home um maps role like my organization's role is very limited because what we do is that we provide legal assistance in the process of the rsd right in the process through which they get recognized as refugees so i can't claim to say that our role in helping them settle is huge or even like even more than a little bit because what we are doing is providing them very like specialized services to like transition from being an asylum seeker to a refugee in India under the UNHCR mandate. Some of the other work that my organization does with refugees is providing assistance to victims of sexual and gender-based violence and that could perhaps 
in some sense be like you know be a little bit more long term than what like you know what legal representation could be because that is a service that could that anybody can like tap into whether you are an asylum seeker or refugee while you're living in india but in terms of like the help like you spoke to you asked me about bureaucracy um regarding like how much of it comes from the bureaucracy frankly like a lot of it like most of it has to come from the bureaucracy right because um the law of the land is something that the government of india is going to adhere to and if there is no framework which defines who a refugee is which defines what kind of rights they have access to what can or they or what they can't do um then it makes a really big difference on like how somebody is able to call india their home right if their children are unable to access education after the age of 14 which is like you know the right to education which doesn't define like who can access rights in terms of like citizens or non citizens but they talk about all children between the ages of 6 and 14 should be able to access education but if your child is unable to access education after the age of 14 then like you will not want to settle here right if you are unable to work in the formal work sector then you won't want to settle here if you are unable to like open a bank account then like you won't be able to get jobs which like you know in the formal sector where you need to like give a bank account to be able to receive a salary so it's like it's like this continuum where without a national framework you are unable to like access these services um access these rights because of which you decide that it's not a place where you can settle and the reason why we don't like one of the reasons why a lot of countries choose not to have a national framework is also so that people like you know it doesn't become an attraction for people to like come and settle in their country and that's like that's a different conversation but that's also an issue right yes and, and yes please continue no 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 go on go on yes so like as i was listening to your answer like there was something like there was a question that came to my mind and i was thinking of asking it to you like like as you have worked with like the victims of sexual violence so what and also refugees so do you think like at some point the two intersect like if they intersect right then how do you deal with it like because why i was asking you because they don't have a legal standing in india but then they so, that also might make them very attractive to the harassment or like sexual abuse kind of thing so i mean victims of sexual and gender based violence and refugees a lot of times intersect actually a lot of the cases that my organization works with happen to be cases of like asylum seekers who are victims of sexual and gender based violence because we are not just talking about sexual and gender based violence in the host country so say in india there's also like people come with a history of sexual and gender based violence that might be the reason why you are running away from your country right that might be the reason why you want to seek asylum somewhere so that intersects very often um and in terms of like access to um services if you are if you are a victim of sexual and gender based violence actually india isn't doing very badly frankly like you know these services which are available to an indian citizen is also available to anybody else um who is not defined as a citizen so that's not too much of a problem but the problem comes in other ways like if you are an asylum seeker or a refugee who doesn't have a government identified documentation so you don't have an aadhar card you don't your passport isn't valid your visa isn't valid you will be scared as a person to approach the authorities right so then the complications are at a different level it's not about whether you can access these services yes you can access these services but you might like you know you might be exposing yourself to harassment of a different kind if you were to like go to authorities and like report a particular crime so like our work with victims of sexual and gender based violence is essentially to let them know that there are a variety of rights 
um, that you can like you know fall back on as as a victim or as a survivor of SGBV. Um, and there are also certain organizations which will not like you know which will not ask you about like a valid documentation if you approach them for these services. So you don't have to be scared as a survivor to like go to somebody to ask for help. Um, like our work with like in SGBV also is about like letting different organizations know that there is a group of people called like, you know, who might be identified as refugees and asylum seekers. And if they are like, you know, if they at any point approach you for assistance, you should not be turning them back just because they don't have documentation. Essentially, like telling them that they do have documentation from UNHCR, which is also, which also has some validity in India, right? So like, it's different kinds of like awareness building, not just with the asylum seekers and refugees, but also with organizations who work in this field. Yes, because like, that's what I found really interesting when you talked about like, you working with like gender, like sexual and gender based violence, and also with refugees, because a lot of the time, what we see is that because they don't have documentations, they don't go to the police or report, or like, they don't even want to come out, like identify as a refugee. Yeah, like at most absolutely. of the time, they want to be a native person. They would say yeah. that I'm from this or that, right? They would not specify yeah. in that regards. Yes, so thank you for your time. I hope like our viewers would be interested in knowing more about the refugees, let alone doing something at this moment. And then maybe they can go on and read some more, like find out for themselves and maybe they would be able to do something about it absolutely i mean if anybody's interested and like if you end up also because i know that you also have a written version of this perhaps you can insert like the link to our website and like there's a lot of reading material on our website on these different issues on like like you know these intersections that you were talking about like if we work with refugees do we also work with like some of these other things called like detention or like sexual and gender-based violence so they can find a lot of information on our website um yeah and i hope like people find this interesting thank you so much for your time Good evening. Welcome to Vichar, part of Azad Awaz, which is a monthly patrika that focuses on marginalized sections of the society whose voices are often muted in the cacophony of fleshy mainstream media discourse. When referring to marginalization, this platform doesn't aim to restrict itself to the traditional focus on social aggregates like caste and race alone, but aspires to include a discussion on class, gender, identity, environmentalism, etc. This edition will specifically look into refugee communities in India and try to understand their struggles and experiences of leaving home and restarting their lives. We want to look deeply into how a community is perceived and how that creates acceptance or xenophobia from their natives. We also want to explore injustices and bureaucratic problems that they might face because of their status in the country. The theme for today's discussion would be refugee formation and the process of asylum. The conversation will include questions on legal rights of refugees, economic opportunities, or the lack of it, and their experiences with state structures and policies. To, to talk about it, we have with us Chinuk Mukhapodhai, who has completed her, her master's in gender and peace building from University of Peace, Costa Rica in 2013. She also has a master's in English literature from Delhi University. She has worked with ICRC regional delegations in, in India for over four years, the UNHCR field office in India for two years and the Cox Bazaar field office for six months. In Costa Rica, she undertook research on the alternatives to incarceration for perpetrators of domestic violence and also spent a few months working as a teaching assistant at her university. At MAP, 
Chinook is responsible for the management of organization's flagship program that focuses on providing legal representation to clients in UNHCR's refugee status determination process. Chinook also handles the organization's external communication and is involved in preparing the project specific reports and donor engagements. So my first question is a three part one. As it is widely known that India doesn't yet have a law in place for refugees and asylum seekers, as well as it as a nation have not signed the United Nations Refugee Convention of 1951. So do you think a law should be put in place before it is too late? Does it have any impact on the people who, ha who have come to India as refugees or who seek asylum in India? If yes, how does it impact the people on the ground? All right. Thank you, Rishi, very much for putting forward the questions and also for like having a conversation on refugee rights. Um, it's not something that we discuss very often, but it is definitely an important topic to talk about. Um, okay, so as you rightly said, India does not have a law in place for refugees. Um, and it's also not signed the 1951 convention, neither the 1967 protocol. Um, and what that means is that anybody who comes to India um, for purposes which are other than like, you know, doing business or traveling is, will be categorized under one category, which doesn't particularly differentiate um, the reasons why people like, you know, um, come to a particular country. So to give you an example, in India currently, anybody who overstays is an illegal migrant. Um, but what happens, what we see very often with refugees is that Refugees will come to a country and then seek asylum. And during that process, they're very often unable to get their visas renewed or get their passports renewed, right? So in a country which doesn't have a national refugee framework, there is no differentiation between people who are coming to your country for humanitarian purposes and people who are like, you know, who are illegal migrants who might be overstaying for other reasons, but don't feel the need to like protect their lives by not going to, um, not going back to their own country. Um, so that is what essentially not having a law in place does. Um, it essentially doesn't differentiate between an illegal migrant and somebody who might be seeking asylum for humanitarian purposes. So there's no recognition of the fact that there might be different categories of people within this bigger category of like, you know, bigger category of people that you, that you or a country might call illegal migrants. Um, in terms of your question about whether I think that um, there should be a law that should be put in place before it's too late, um, the answer will always be yes from somebody who works with refugee rights, because like I said, um, it's important for us to be able to recognize that there are some people who can't go back to their countries because they fear for their life, because they fear um, that they will be persecuted on the basis of race, on the basis of religion, on the basis of their nationality, on the basis of their ethnicity, or on the basis of their political opinion, or like, you know, membership of a particular group. Um, so it's always like somebody like me or anybody who works in the space will always tell you that, yes, um, we should have a law in place. Um, yeah. Um, in terms of what you asked me about how a law or the lack of a law impacts the people on the ground. The impact is actually what we get to see on a daily basis. Um, in my work where we provide legal representation to asylum seekers um, in India, like those who are going through um, what we call the UNHCR refugee status determination process, the lack of a national framework means that um, 
the refugee status determination first and foremost is being done by UNHCR and not the government. Um, any country which has a na national legal um, refugee protection framework, um, the work of the RSD, the work of refugee status determination will be done by the government. And in very few places, UNHCR might also play a part in it. Mm. And what this means is that all the protection that is provided to people, to refugees or asylum seekers, um, is the responsibility of UNHCR in India. Um, what it also means is that because the because India doesn't have um, a national legal framework, um, those who register with UNHCR. And I'm, and I'm going into some specifics here. Those who register with UNHCR don't particularly, are not particularly recognized by the government of India as refugees. They're recognized only by the UNHCR. And depending on UNHCR's like, you know, relationship with the government of India, UNHCR's relationship with local authorities, um, a lot of like how the documentation that UNHCR gives to people who, um, like who register with UNHCR, um, it like it it really depends from like government like you know office to government office. So like some um, some government offices may recognize the documentation which has been given by UNHCR, but some some places might not recognize it because it's just it's just not a piece of documentation that is widely recognized in India. So that's I think that is what the essential issue is. It, is that when you don't have a national legal framework, then your access to a lot of things which are, which at the end of the day are essential for you to be able to access other services, whether it's education, whether it's health, whether it's like, you know, being able to open a bank account, it becomes very difficult because you are not recognized as somebody by the government of that country. And in India, the recognition, like I said, comes from the UNHCR. I don't know if I was able to like, um clarify that but yeah yes you were and so it brings me to, like as i think of it like as you said that the refugees might not be recognized as refugees right like by the governments so it yeah. brings me to another question like on human rights like how far do you think the refugees or the asylum seekers in India have benefited from basic human rights. Also, is it a norm in the field or is it an exception that refugees or asylum seekers have been treated with what we call basic human dignity? In like when they encounter like the police or like when they encounter the structures of the state, basically. I think one thing that I want to clarify is that India has had actually a very long history of providing asylum to different groups. If you, and you will obviously know this, um, India has given asylum to Tibetans um, who came to India, like, you know, when um, there was a war that was going on with China. Then during Sri Lankans, like, you know, during the decade long Sri Lankan civil war, UNHCR, sorry, um, the government of India also provided asylum to people who were fleeing that conflict. So in terms of like, like a historical setting where, um, like, you know, when we are trying to assess whether India has provided asylum to a lot of like different groups of people, the answer is most definitely yes. Um, but what has happened is that, and I want to tie this with the question that you asked me previously. Um, what, what happens when there isn't a law in place? What happens is that the government then can pick and choose the groups that it wants to provide asylum to. So when it came to the Tibetans and when it came, came to the Sri Lankans, it was the government of India that provided them asylum. However, for many non-neighboring countries, um, actually all non-neighboring countries, as well as for Myanmar, at the moment, it's UNHCR that provides asylum. Um, so anybody who's coming from these countries would then approach UNHCR to seek asylum under their um, under their umbrella. So 
Um, in that sense, what has happened is that without without a national legal framework, there is this dual system that operates in India, which means that certain groups are able to access like, you know, these things that we spoke about just briefly in the previous question about like documentation, which would then allow you to access different services. So certain groups are able to access that while certain other groups are unable to access those. Um, so that is that is one thing that we should keep in mind when we are looking at like India's, like, you know, asylum history, as well as the system that is in place at the moment. Um, so in terms of like how asylum seekers and refugees are able to benefit from basic human rights, then if like, then we would have to take a look at these, both these groups to see whether like, you know, both these groups have been able to access basic human rights or not. And like I said, the Tibetans and the Sri Lankans have had better access to um, basic human rights in India because they're recognized under, like, you know, they're recognized by the government of India. Whereas when it comes to asylum seekers and refugees who are under the mandate of UNHCR, the access is definitely limited because the kind of documentation that they live on in India is not recognized widely. So things like getting access to, like, you know, um, getting access to secondary school, getting access to higher education, being able to being able to access hospitals around the country, being able to being able to like have jobs, um, like, you know, being able to being able to even do simple things like open a bank account. All these things become a lot harder for them um, if they are only recognized by UNHCR. So there is I mean, in that sense, there is definitely um, like, you know, the access to basic human rights is definitely lacking. Um, and then your next question was whether it is a norm in the field or is it an exception that refugees and human rights are treated with dignity? I mean, you could define like, you could define dignity in like, in many different ways, but in terms of like having access to services, having access to basic human rights, I think, like I said, like, you know, there are two different groups that exist in India. While some have more access to rights, the others don't have as much access to these rights. So, um, but there is also, I mean, we should also think about it in larger context where in the region, India is one of the few countries that still accepts asylum seekers um, um, and is like, you know, and there are very few cases where asylum seekers are sent back to their countries, like, you know, countries where they might be under, um, like, you know, where they might be under the threat of persecution on like, on like these various grounds that I spoke about earlier. So in terms of dignity, yes, they are able to enter the country. They are able to live a life where they're free of like, um, like, you know, fear of being persecuted. Um, but there is definitely a long way to go in terms of, um, like, you know, in terms of providing them the rights, um, like all the basic human rights that you can define, like, you know, that's defined under like various international law um, regimes. Yes. That makes so much sense. Like when we like talk about refugees, we tend to homogenize them as if they are like one group of people and there is no differentiations and they are treated the same way. So, and at the end of your answer, you were talking about sending refugees back. So that brings me to my next question that can you expound upon non-refoulement and how India has historically been dealing with refugees and asylum seekers in that context. And the second question would be that, do you see any changes to that over the period of time with the changes in government or like the emergence of a globalized liberal economy? And more specifically, how do you see that? Has it changed under this current regime since 2014 
or do you so, think it has been same like throughout from Nehruvian period to Indira Gandhi and then like after the globalization opening of markets and till now? Yeah, I mean, I mean, frankly, India, like under the various governments that you just like mentioned, the point is that India doesn't have a national refugee asylum bill, right? Um, so it's not like any government has taken extra steps towards um, or like any particular government has gone beyond its reach to provide um, provide any sort of like, um, like, you know, like a framework for asylum seekers and refugees to fall under, under which they would, they would be like, you know, all their rights would be, um, all their rights would be um, safeguarded. Um, however, I do want to mention that India has signed the, the Global Compact for Refugees. So it's not like India's commitment towards, like, you know, these concepts that we talk about, non-refoulma, or like, you know, safeguarding the rights of people who are, like, you know, fleeing war, fleeing violence. It's not like India's commitment to these issues is lacking. Um, there are many different reasons why India hasn't signed the 1951 convention and the 1967 protocol. And you will see that a lot of its reasons are also replicated or like not replicated, but are also um, echoed by a lot of other nations, like, you know, who happen to be countries where asylum seekers and refugees come for the first time. Um, so that's a different conversation altogether. But non-refoulement is part of customary international law. And historically, like I said a little while back, that historically we've seen very few cases of like, you know, this kind of treatment towards refugees and asylum seekers in India. Um, if you if you compare it with countries in the region, whether you're talking about Thailand, whether you like go a little bit far and like look at Australia, we see a lot more news coming out of these countries about like, you know, pushing back people who are trying to enter. Um, and these are not illegal migrants from what we understand. They are, they are refugees and asylum seekers. Um, so in that sense, India has held up its commitment to customary international law. Um, and frankly, like, like when you talk about like BJP in power, I mean, nothing much has changed um, in like the past few decades. And actually, like I said, like India did sign the, like, like, you know, the global compact for refugees. So there is commitment. However, there is still a lack when it comes to the formation of like a national um, asylum framework, which, which is what I think needs to be taken up as an issue, um, but yeah. Yes, so like why I was asking that question was in this sense of like the supposedly the Rohingyas or like whatever we are now talking about, right? The Sri Lankan Tamils, the Rohingyas, and, and then there are the Tibetans or the Chinese, like, even we had, a, like, I recently joined a seminar where there were Chinese Indians who talked about how they fled China and came to India and, like, took asylum here in Bombay and other places. So, so why I was, like, asking you that question is because, like, I also wanted to know if there is something like how the factors like ethnicity, religion, language, and like class makes like when we are talking about refugees, how it is not homogenized, right? How there are different intersections there, like gender and everything. And what do you think, like, how do these factors like ethnicity, religion, language, class, actually impact the process of seeking asylum for the person, for an individual? I think that's a very, like, important question to because ask. We don't, because, because we don't, yeah. because I feel like we don't have a framework, so any government can, like, choose to do whatever it wants. And yeah. so I wanted to ask you that question because you are working in the ground. And oftentimes, we, what we hear is just narratives. 
and does those narratives about governments do echo on the ground like so in that way i was just trying to get to know it a bit better yes yeah so i mean like i said like it is a very important question to ask because these intersections are um they are visible they are also very important for us to take into account when we are seeing what is what is the impact on refugees and asylum seekers on the ground like you know in the absence of a national legal framework like you, like you said um and the impact is varied um a lot of it i mean like you know you you brought up the point of like rohingya refugees it is a lot of times like without a national framework a lot of things are dependent on like you know the the politics of the ruling party um and i think that makes it very clear that there will be certain groups who will be given um like you know who will be given importance over others um but in terms of like in terms of if i can talk in terms of like how does it make a difference say something like language um so we get we get asylum seekers and refugees from countries like afghanistan where like you know um where the language that they speak is say closer to home than like you know for somebody like you know for an asylum seeker um from say an african nation so in terms of like how they look and like how they are able to like pick up the language of india like assimilation within the indian society is much easier for them it's also a lot faster um having access to like language like hindi or even english makes the access to information makes access to like you know how you can um access basic services that also makes it a lot easier for like like you know people like asylum seekers who may be able to like pick up hindi a little bit faster or say look a little bit more like like you know the people who live in india say people who live in delhi like you might not be after a while you might not be able to differentiate between an afghan and a north indian um and that happens very often um even things like ethnicity um religion and class like refugees experience a lot of the same things which are experienced by indians who perhaps belong to like you know the lowest strata of the society or are from like ethnic or religious groups which are in the minority so um i wouldn't say that their experiences are completely different from say people who are also indians and could be like you know from religious ethnic minority groups but their experiences are exasperated exacerbated by the fact that they are in a country that is not their own where they don't have any particular legal status so like the reality on the ground is essentially that life is extremely hard and these intersections come into play when there is no legal framework that like you know that the country can adhere to because then the government policies towards certain groups can be ad hoc and can change at any point in time so while india india was extremely generous when the taliban took over in afghanistan and it said that we are going to be like issuing visas to like you know people who are fleeing the conflict um it was a different thing that at that point the like you know there were no flights which were going in coming out of afghanistan so people who were trying to flee or even like applied for those visas they weren't able to get out of the country but the point is that the government of india was able to like you know put across something which was unexpected but extremely like extremely welcome by like it was something that was lauded by the international community that india was the only country in the region which like you know said that we will welcome afghans so like you know a lot of these things are done on an ad hoc basis and sometimes they turn out to be good and sometimes they turn out to be very detrimental to like you know the human rights of certain groups yes so as you were talking about like how the experiences of 
the refugee communities might not be very different from that of minorities. But then, then there would be certain differences, right? Because they don't have the legal documentation to, or the, what we call like the citizenship of India, the, the legal way of selling, telling like we belong to this land. So then like, as you have closely worked with people on the ground, so what are the challenges that like you guys face in your attempt to help a refugee or asylum seeker settle? Like it, like the issue of framework does have a like impact, might impact you like at larger extent, but then what are the other thing issues that you face and how much of it might come from like society because people tend to have a xenophobia from for people like alien people, aliens who they like think are aliens or detrimental to the society and how much of it comes from the bureaucracy. Also, how do you suggest that we make this process of naturalization easier for refugees and asylum seekers, if we can. So I think what I think what I want to say about this is that, and I will clarify like the role that we play in terms of like providing access to certain services to asylum seekers and refugees. Um, but I think what came to me while you were asking me this question is that like what challenges do like you were asking me about the challenges that refugees and asylum seekers face when it comes to settling right so apart from like you know the groups that we spoke about which get assistance from the government of India and are legally recognized in, as refugees in India so like the Tibetans and the Sri Lankans apart from these two groups Everybody else, almost everybody else, and I and I won't say 100%, but India mostly serves as a transit country for asylum seekers who currently reside in India. So for a lot of people, India is that country that you come to from where you can move on to other places where you might want to settle down, right? So the aspirations of a lot of refugees and asylum seekers is not to spend their entire life in India. Um, they want to like move to like, you know, countries in the Europe, they might want to move to Australia, they might want to move to the US for a variety of different reasons. So in terms of like helping them settle down, um, of course, and, uh, and this particular decision to whether they want to settle down in India or not is also dependent on the fact that there's no national asylum framework in which they are recognized as refugees by the government of India, right? Which means that they will never have access to like the kinds of documentation that you and I have, which will allow me to like walk into any place, go to any part of India, like, you know, do whatever I want, set up a business, like things like Aadhaar card or PAN card, like, you know, stuff like that. Um, so they will never have access to things like that. And that also plays a part in like, like, you know, in making sure that India always remains a transit country and not a country where people want to settle. But even in those, like, say, even in the 10 years or the 15 years where some people will like, you know, live in India or perhaps some people will go on to make India their home. Um, MAPS role, like my organization's role is very limited because what we do is that we provide legal assistance in the process of the RST, right? In the process through which they get recognized as refugees. So I can't claim to say that our role in helping them settle is huge or even like, even more than a little bit, because what we are doing is providing them very like specialized services to like transition from being an asylum seeker to a refugee in India under the UNHCR mandate. Some of the other work that my organization does with refugees is providing assistance to victims of sexual and gender-based violence. And that could perhaps in some sense be like, you know, be a little bit more long-term than what 
like you know what legal representation could be because that is a service that could that anybody can like tap into whether you are an asylum seeker or refugee while you're living in india but in terms of like the help like you spoke to you asked me about bureaucracy um regarding like how much of it comes from the bureaucracy frankly like a lot of it like most of it has to come from the bureaucracy right because um the law of the land is something that the government of india is going to adhere to and if there is no framework which defines who a refugee is which defines what kind of rights they have access to what can or they or what they can't do um then it makes a really big difference on like how somebody is able to call india their home right if their children are unable to access education after the age of 14 which is like you know the right to education which doesn't define like who can access rights in terms of like citizens or non citizens but they talk about all children between the ages of 6 and 14 should be able to access education but if your child is unable to access education after the age of 14 then like you will not want to settle here right if you are unable to work in the formal work sector then you won't want to settle here if you are unable to like open a bank account then like you won't be able to get jobs which like you know in the formal sector where you need to like give a bank account to be able to receive a salary so it's like it's like this continuum where without a national framework you are unable to like access these services um access these rights because of which you decide that it's not a place where you can settle and the reason why we don't like one of the reasons why a lot of countries choose not to have a national framework is also so that people like you know it doesn't become an attraction for people to like come and settle in their country and that's like that's a different conversation but that's also an issue right yes and, and yes please continue no 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 go on go on yes so like as i was listening to your answer like there was something like there was a question that came to my mind and i was thinking of asking it to you like like as you have worked with like the victims of sexual violence so what and also refugees so do you think like at some point the two intersect like if they intersect right then how do you deal with it like because why i was asking you because they don't have a legal standing in india but then they so, that also might make them very attractive to the harassment or like sexual abuse kind of thing so i mean victims of sexual and gender based violence and refugees a lot of times intersect actually a lot of the cases that my organization works with happen to be cases of like asylum seekers who are victims of sexual and gender based violence because we are not just talking about sexual and gender based violence in the host country so say in india there's also like people come with a history of sexual and gender based violence that might be the reason why you are running away from your country right that might be the reason why you want to seek asylum somewhere so that intersects very often um and in terms of like access to um services if you are if you are a victim of sexual and gender based violence actually india isn't doing very badly frankly like you know these services which are available to an indian citizen is also available to anybody else um who is not defined as a citizen so that's not too much of a problem but the problem comes in other ways like if you are an asylum seeker or a refugee who doesn't have a government identified documentation so you don't have an aadhar card you don't your passport is invalid your visa is invalid you will be scared as a person to approach the authorities right so then the complications are at a different level it's not about whether you can access these services yes you can access these services but you might like you know you might be exposing yourself to harassment of a different kind if you were to like go to authorities and like report a particular crime so like our work with victims of sexual and gender based violence is essentially to let them know that there are a variety of rights um that you can like you know fall back on as as a victim or as a survivor of sgbv um 
and there are also certain organizations which will not like you know which will not ask you about like a valid documentation if you approach them for these services so you don't have to be scared as a survivor to like go to somebody to ask for help um like our work with like in sgbv also is about like letting different organizations know that there is a group of people called like you know who might be identified as refugees and asylum seekers and if they are like you know if they at any point approach you for assistance you should not be turning them back just because they don't have documentation essentially like telling them that they do have documentation from unhcr which is also which also has some validity in india right so like it's different kinds of like awareness building not just with the asylum seekers and refugees but also with organizations who work in this field yes because like that's what i found really interesting when you talked about like you working with like gender like sexual and gender based violence and also with refugees because a lot of the time what, what we see is that because they don't have documentations they don't go to the police or report or like they don't even want to come out like identify as a refugee yeah like at most absolutely. of the time they want to be a native person they would say yeah. that i'm from this or that right they would not specify yeah. in that guys yes so thank you for your time i hope like our viewers would be interested in knowing more about the refugees let alone doing something at this moment and then maybe they can go on and read some more like find out for themselves and maybe they would be able to do something about it absolutely i mean if anybody is interested and like if you end up also because i know that you also have a written version of this perhaps you can insert like the link to our website and like there's a lot of reading material on our website on these different issues on like like you know these intersections that you were talking about like if we work with refugees do we also work with like some of these other things called like detention or like sexual and gender based violence so they can find a lot of information on our website um yeah and i hope like people find this interesting thank you so much for your time